And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with the occultist Dan Eckert. Dan's website is linked up at coasttocoastam.com. Do you take emails through your website, Dan? Yes, we do. Super. And any kind of question from one of your prospective clients? Yeah, absolutely. You can totally uh, send us any kind of questions that you have. We do our best to respond to all the email we get. But as you can imagine, <laughs> sometimes uh, that becomes a little overwhelming. Oh my God, if we don't get absolutely. back to you, it's not because we, we single-handedly like, ignored your, uh, your request. It just takes us a long time to get through all those emails. What are some of the signs of possession? Yeah, that's a really great question because I think sometimes we tend to err on um, dismissing all the bad things that happen to us as either bad luck or we go the other direction and just, you know, stub our toe and suddenly are worried that we might be possessed or have a demonic entity in our space. But what you're looking for in terms of am I dealing with a possession is some level of physical phenomena. So some level of noises from within the house, um, banging on walls, uh, objects being moved, objects not being where they're supposed to be. Um, I would generally say that this would have to escalate to a point where it feels hostile for it to truly fall under a possession bracket insofar as a possession that needs to be exercised or removed. But I'm really curious about what people self-diagnose their luck as, because when you're dealing with a possession from an occult perspective, it is not unsimilar to dealing with a curse. And when you are cursed or when someone has been hexed from this kind of framework, we expect to see really bad luck, like everything that's going wrong, everything that could go wrong is going wrong. Constantly, um, right? Yeah, just constant. And generally for more than a period of like a month. Um, we, Kat my, and myself, we generally only get involved in exorcisms after they've reached about six months of trying to find some kind of help elsewhere. So that should give you an idea about the time frame for how long these things are going wrong. Would you prefer... That somebody find, like, a priest to do an exorcism, does that matter? You know, I think, I think it matters most to the person who, um, who is receiving that sort, of, um, that sort of work, that sort of divine intervention. If they feel, due to their faith system or the system that they work within, that a priest is the best bet or the best uh, possible resource, by all means, I want them to use that. I really love being able to help people when we do this. However, I also sometimes wish that they wouldn't reach out to us as occultists, specifically because of the baggage that most people bring to that, like they are concerned about witchcraft or they're concerned about bad things, as we've mentioned in the first hour of this show. So by the time they've reached me, it's generally pretty... Um, pretty severe, and it isn't generally moored to some other faith tradition where they could call a rabbi or a priest or an imam. Let's go to the phones. Let's start with John in Toledo, Ohio, east of the Rockies. Welcome to the program. Hi, John. Hello. Good to have you with uh, us. Go ahead. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I got a couple of questions about spell workings. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is uh, Moon Void, of course, and Mercury Retrograde in, in your workings? 
What a perfect question for right now as we're approaching another Mercury retrograde. You, you, get, you get into that, Danny. <laughs> yeah, I, I think astrological timings are really important when we talk about occult work. Going all the way back to the Picatrix, which is one of the oldest kind of um, talismanic, astrologically-based magic, obviously astrology plays a huge role in that. When we look at spirit invocations and banishings, there are certain days that are far more effective than other days, and that depends on the astrological chart of the person performing the exorcism, as well as the um, where what planets are currently in what positions and what they rule over. So when we talk about something like Mercury, Mercury retrograde, which has a lot to do with communication and contracts in an astrological framework, but also has to do with messengers and messenger entities, um, thinking here, Hermes uh, is the messenger god of ancient Greece. Uh, Mercury, Wednesday, these are all times which kind of align along around each other. So it depends on the entity specifically, and there are things that we can do to mitigate that. So you did also mention the moon working, uh, like positions of the moon as well. We generally look to to maximize our effectiveness by maximizing the amount of, or I should put it this way, we look to maximize how close we can get to the correct astrological timings. So if Mercury retrograde is happening, which is what we're coming into, then before the exorcism, I will be doing a lot of work specifically with Hermes, the deity, because he's so closely tied with Mercury and messaging, I want to do everything I can to increase my connection to him to blunt the effects of the space weather. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. When you walk into a space of someone possessed, can you feel something, Dan, from the get-go? I always do, um, mostly because I do a lot of spirit invocation for both, for both my job and for fun, uh, for fun and profit. And so when we talk about, like, walking into a space, I generally feel very attuned to the types of presences that are there. Now, I might, and I rarely am able to just dial in on a specific entity and say, ah, of course, it's, um, you know, it's X entity, it's Boone, or it's uh, Jelly L. Um, that's something that has to be deduced with a pendulum, with scrying, with channeling, and that's something Kat and I do. But the overwhelming sense of oppression that comes with a possession is unmistakable to someone who deals with those entities or has experimented with this type of work. Let's go next to Greg on the wildcard line, North Hollywood, California. Hey, Greg, good morning. Hi, good morning. Uh, I heard you mention your guest is, is he a practicing psychic or a medium? Or He does it all, yeah. but he's truly an occultist. Because I wondered if he was able to see any highlight coming up for me in the near future. Uh, I've been doing not so bad uh, spiritualized. Uh, on one hand, I'm seeing signs like the 111s and the 333 numbers, which tell you that you're on the right path with what you're doing, but nothing's really materializing. Uh, sure. I'm just moving forward, you know, and doing what I yeah. do. So I can give you a little bit of insight into that. Those uh, synchronistic numbers 
they can tell us that we're on the right path. But I also like to think of them as being kind of reminders to pay attention to what's happening around us when we see those numbers. So what's going on in your life when you see the 111 or the 333? Are you doing a specific task? Are you talking with a specific person? Those are the kind of clues we want to look for, as opposed to a generalized, we're on the right path, but we don't really know what that path is. And I think you've, you've spoken to that. As far as for you specifically, the first thing I'm seeing is that inner strength is going to be the most important thing in the near term. The issues that you're approaching, you won't be able to overcome by your traditional means of kind of muscling through them. Um, you're not going to be able to solve this problem with determination and hard work. This is going to come from an inner sense of strength. This is going to resolve um, financially insofar as there's a benefactor, or there's someone who is going to notice the work that you're doing and reward you for it. It's not going to be a huge reward. <laughs> what I'm seeing is something around uh, what spirits are showing me is the six of pentacles. Um, the pentacle is the coin in a tarot deck. Six is more than more than half, but not obviously ten. So you're looking at like a mid a mid sized kind of um, financial assistance from a benefactor. And lastly, you did mention the spiritual component. Um, I'm seeing a lot of hierarchical spiritual work. So I'm seeing you getting involved with uh, more closely involved with a spiritual community and specifically focused on the dogma of that community. So the beliefs and practices are what interest you most, more so um, than, than just the experience of being part of that tradition. Do you ever deal with the angelic realm, Dan? Yeah. Actually, I teach on um, angelic summoning and angelic magic. Angels are one of my favorite things to work with, mostly because we use them so frequently in our um, exorcism work. Uh, angels and demons can be kind of bound to each other, or you can call one forward to kind of subdue the other. Uh, so I've been very, very used to angels, but they are not what people think. Uh, most people think of flappy, fluffy looking, uh, beautiful, you know, angel with two wings and a white robe. And what we find in the uh, grimoire traditions and the Solomonic traditions and the magical traditions is that these things are consciousnesses that are super, super old, like they almost come with the house. Uh, and you can even see this in the development of some of like the religious work of the early church, where the early church uh, fathers and thought leaders were trying to figure out what to do with the angels. Like, what are these things? My experience with them has been that they have their own designs, and we can kind of come along for the ride, but they're not they're not going to go out of their way to help us unless it aligns with their divine plan. If you had an audience with the Pope, Dan, what would you tell him about exorcisms? Oh, well, the first thing I'd want to know from the Pope is, like, what kind of amazing uh, Middle Ages grimoire magic they're sitting on in their archives, because <laughs> I'm sure they oh. have tons of it. When we look historically, uh, the priest class being literate, they were the ones doing most Western magic. Uh, they were the ones doing the experimentation with these angelic lists and compiling them from earlier uh, ancient Greek or um, ancient uh, Israel or ancient kind of Arab nations compiling those lists. So there's some cutting-edge magic being done there that probably still exists in the Vatican vault. 
But the thing I'd most want to stress is that we're in a larger we're in a larger cosmic world than any one system of belief can fully explain and fully integrate. And maybe we should be engaging with some of these some of these components of the church that we've put to the side because we're afraid that they look superstitious. So when you look at old kind of Catholic um, Vatican I era material, you know, there are canticles to the sun and um, hymns and prayers to spirits or to spirits of a space. These are all things that I think modernity has kind of done away with, but those spirits haven't gone anywhere. And I almost wonder if they, they need us to kind of reconnect with them. When you when you tell people you're an occultist, do they run away from you or they <laughs> stand and yeah, talk? Yeah, I, I, they do. I either get a blank stare because people don't know what that mean that name means, or they're afraid that I'm going to tell them something bad, uh, that I'm going to be a harbinger or a bad omen in some way. Tell them something about you know a family member who's passed, or curse them, or you know just by the nature of the work that I've done with angels and demons and magic, that I'm somehow, you know, a purveyor of uh, demonic forces, which then surprises them when I, you know, pull out a rosary and, you know, a set of crystals and also a tarot card. You know, these are, uh, I think people don't expect the ways in which these tools can be used interchangeably. Good point. Let's go to Brendan in Austin, Texas, one of our favorite spots. Hi, Brendan. Hey, thank you guys so much. I appreciate that, uh, Dan and George. So I had two questions, and one thing real quick. Dr. Travis Scott Taylor had mentioned from Arts Parts and the Department of Defense, NASA, Army. He said that this stuff, and he, he's worked in this, he said it's like combat and that there's a retali- retaliatory response. Other people have akined it to like a gang war that every decision or action that you make has a retaliation or a price to pay for the knowledge. So you better make it worth it, whatever, if you decide to do something. But uh, I had some experience with exorcism, but I moved into an apartment and it was like a spiritual Iwo Jima or like Fallujah or something. And from that experience, I learned that there's hot spots and strongholds throughout the city. And if any human makes, a deal with these entities, then they get betrayed and disposed of. But I was curious if you had an idea if can regular people do anything about these strongholds or uh, satanic locations, or is it too too dangerous or uh, violent to go there? And have you noticed any correlation between demons, possession, and disease? Wow, what a what a. Uh lot of insightful questions insofar as how magic works. I'm, I'm excited that you asked these things, because I think there are things that we can do uh, without spending a lot of time investigating the occult. And I do want to say, a lot of people think like, and you hear this a lot in both magical books, but also in pop culture, that magic is dangerous. And I do want to stress that it is, but not in the way that you think when you hear that. So most people think danger to like, you know, my life my physical body. That's extremely rare. The danger is it changes your worldview. It changes the way you see the world and interact with it. And things that you once assumed to be common or 
rational, like there are no ghosts in Austin or that there aren't hot spots where particular, you know, demonic entities seem to have more power, that that's all kind of superstition and hogwash. Maybe in the maybe in the wrong in the wrong hands, Dan, it could be bad. I, I think in the wrong hands it could be. I think that the wrong hands are generally people who aren't fully aware of what it is they're encountering or engaging with. But there are things we can all do without, you know, having to initiate into a magical tradition or join a priesthood. And that is uh, as simple as carrying around a piece of quartz crystal with you or making sure that whatever your spiritual tradition is, that you're plugged into it and working with it regularly. Even if that's just going down and doing yoga once a week at, you know, the yoga studio, immerse yourself in what yoga is. Immerse yourself in what it is beyond a fitness regime. What is your church beyond a space where you go and eat potluck dinner? Like, get involved in the actual spiritual component of it. That's something any of us can do. And lastly, build a relationship with your ancestors. The best magic, and this is something that Western magic has a really hard time admitting because we don't like necromancy over here in Western magic, but ancestor magic, knowing your ancestors, venerating them, tending their graves, not only does that drastically increase, you know, the support that they have for you, the luck that you might experience in this life, it also really does do a great deal of protection. Absolutely. Dan, we're going to take a short break soon, and uh, what I would like you to relay for us when we come back after the break is one of the most unusual cases you've had, and uh, I'm sure you've had many, haven't you? Oh, absolutely. Some very weird stuff that I think your listeners will like. Tell us about your Instagram account. Yeah, so we're over on at the.eckhart, and that is the same for our TikTok account as well, at the.eckhart. Not sure how long that TikTok will still be in existence, but until it's uh, banned, we're going to be posting there, and we post magical advice as well as thought-provoking questions and tips and stories over on our Instagram. Great. And seances, you still continue to do those with Kat? Yes, we do. We do seances, and we also do magical retreats in castles throughout the world, Uh, castles in North Carolina, uh, castles in Romania. All right, we'll come back and take final calls with Dan Eckert in just a moment right here on Coast to Coast AM. And again, his website is linked up at coasttocoastam.com. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie back with our final segment with Dan Eckert as we talk about occultism. And it is truly remarkable. In the, in, the, in the past, Dan, occultism, of course, was considered to be somewhat evil. Has that changed much? There is a culture shift happening right now. Um, Millennials, uh, Zoomers, more than any other generation before them in terms of Western um, traditions, are embracing witchcraft, um, occultism, esoteric beliefs, New Age, that sort of thing. And that's been happening since about the 70s uh, with some protracted dips and now a, a rapid rise. However, I do think the the majority of, of of people still have a lot of suspicion about this work and still do view it as something that, if not outright evil, is something that should be avoided. And I can understand that apprehension, but I also think once we begin to investigate it, we don't find the kind of boogeymen that we've been led to believe exist there. 
Before we go to final calls, share with us one of the most strangest times you've ever had in this field. Yeah, I was uh, actually at a castle with a group of occultists, and we were doing some rituals, and we actually decided to bring in some of the spirits of the castle we were in. And during that actual um, ritual encounter, one of the individuals who was attending suddenly felt as if they themselves might be um, might be falling under the influence of of an actual spirit insofar as possession is concerned. And for many uh, people who channel, that's viewed as a form of possession, a partial possession. But this individual felt like they were beginning to lose um, control over the partial component. And that was the first time I've ever had to step into a space and perform uh, some rites of exorcism on the spot. While I was doing that, this uh, individual ended up perfectly prophesying the rest of our experience at that event down to issues like quirks in the weather, losing power at certain times, um, natural forces, plane delays, like all of the obstacles that we encountered on that trip, that individual predicted during that event of, of exorcism. Uh, she was fine. The event continued uh, with the with the issues that were predicted. Uh, but I still think about that because every time that we're led to believe or every time we feel entirely safe or in, like we have all this kind of esoterica entirely figured out, we know all the secrets of the universe, something comes along and just says, yeah, but this is real and don't you forget it. Back to the phones, wildcard line, Gil is with us, truck driving in Indiana. Hey, Gil, hey, welcome. Gil. How are you doing, sir? Great. I'm well, how are you? Uh, well, a little fascinated to tell you the truth, because I've had your phone number uh, in my phone since uh, 94. Really? And I've, yes, sir, and I have never been able to get through and wow. this time, yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? That because, is kind of weird, considering I got that phone number uh, a few years ago now, but I wonder whose it was before mine. I, I think he meant the show, Danny. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, nice to meet you, Dan. George? Nice to meet you. Hi, Gil. To you for, I've been listening to you for quite a few years. It's been a long haul, that's for sure. You are a... Thought provoker. Great, uh, I'm doing my thing. Yes, sir. You're doing a good job at it too. Uh, you were discussing earlier about possessed houses. Mm -hmm. Well, I've seen Amityville Horror. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's that's a little bit beyond what we've got going on with my house. My house is actually. Uh, somewhere in 153 years old age. Wow. The uh, yeah, the day after we signed the papers on it, I got hit by a train. You got hit by a train? Were you in your truck? Yeah. What happened? How'd that happen? Uh oh, I can tell you the time, the date, <laughs> February 5th, 1995. One forty-five in the afternoon. Oh my God! Yep. Wow. And uh, 
It was a icy road. I was hauling uh, garbage to landfill, and I was coming in off of my last run. And the uh, tracks up there in that area come at you from like over your right shoulder. So there's a special kind of like what they call a hook turn. So you could see down the, uh, but there was ice on the road and the truck wouldn't cooperate. And it went straight instead of doing the hook. And when I leaned forward, that train was there. So, Did you get hurt at all, Gil? Uh, three cracked ribs, five stitches in the back of my head. Oh, my God. Wow. And uh, I've had both my shoulders surgically repaired. I've got uh, two discs replaced in my neck, and I just had uh, back surgery year before last uh had four or five of my discs shaved well we're glad you're still with us do you have a question for dan gill yeah uh actually the guy from austin actually asked the question uh because i've turned into a pack rat guys i've never yeah i've never i've never been this type of person uh Everything in its place, place for everything. Uh, my wife has been giving me static for the last couple of years. <laughs> we got to go through the house and, you know, get rid of some of this stuff. And, I mean, have you ever noticed that stuff just accumulates and you don't really think about it as an, anything important? until you're asked to get rid of something. Well, I'm wondering, as, could it be the house that is causing this to happen? The bad luck? What do you think, Danny? I mean, that's certainly a life-changing experience to have that sort of, that sort of um, mishap accident that you've described. Yeah, that sort of mishap. If it were a one-off sort of situation where that happened um, and it coincidentally landed along, uh, you know, acquiring the house, I wouldn't immediately jump to, okay, the house is possessed. What I'd be more curious in is the long-term effects that have been had beyond just the accumulation of things, but is there a particular attachment to those things? Are these things things that you wouldn't normally normally collect? Like, are they violent or are they, um, you know, disturbing in some way, but you can't bring yourself to part with them? Those would be the questions I'd be asking. And then I'd be looking for like significant, um, significant bad luck, significant like obstacles with your spouse, uh, fighting for no reason, that sort of thing. But for now, based off of what you described, I think you can rest easy. If you're concerned about it, I would recommend burning some dragon's blood incense inside the house. Um, that is a very effective herbal incense spirit removal tool that works really well without a lot of intention or rites performed, so you don't need to ritualize it. I've always wondered, Dan, if bad luck is created by the individual or outside forces. What do you think? Historically, I think it both are true. Um, from a magical perspective, we can say that our luck is created as part of a, a subconscious construct. 
So we can do things like create affirmations, affirmations like, I'm very lucky, I have great luck. And that would help on that conscious subconscious level. But I don't think we can dismiss the fates. Uh, the idea of fate is something that seems to predate us uh, as long as we can explore religious, spiritual, historical traditions. People are fascinated with this concept of fate, and they know, crucially, when fate is turned against them. Absolutely. Cornelius is with us in Louisiana. Welcome to the show. Hello there, Berger. Hey there, George and Dan. You know, Dan, they call me the God, Guns, and Gold Man, the Bible, Bullets, and Beans Man. I'm down here, like I just told Tommy, in the voodoo, hoodoo, and yoodoo land here, and you say you don't deal with voodoo priestess or priests. And I was just wondering, being a Christian and stuff, and I call on the name of Jesus mm-hmm. to uh, get rid of all these demons and stuff. There's a show on CBS. It may be on CBS.com or Paramount.com called Evil. And I don't know if you ever saw that show, but there's a black priest and there's a white lady that's a psychiatrist. So the priest wants the psychiatrist to talk to these uh, inmates Mm-hmm. and see if they are demon-possessed, like that new movie George is talking about, or if they're just a mental condition, you know, that they have. You know, in, in other words, right. they're really crazy. Or are they demon-possessed? And I know you've been talking about different things to get rid of demons and all like that. And like I said, I call up on the name of Jesus. And we have a lot of Christian listeners and stuff, and the occultists sure. that listen also. So do you think the name of Jesus is a strong name to call upon. So God bless you, George, and God bless Coast to Coast. Love the bumper music there, George. You got it, kid. Go ahead, Danny. What a great question, too, and what a great one to kind of round things out here with, because I do think the name of Jesus is an effective name in spirit, exorcism, and banishing. And whether you want to ascribe that to, you know, Jesus as the Son of God, as the Christ, uh, that is a valid (laughs) belief system to have and to hold and to believe in. From an occult perspective, the name of Jesus is powerful because Jesus is lineaged into a tradition of individuals who have power over demons. And this goes all the way back to Solomon, to David, to um, Jesus, to the apostles, uh, at least following a biblical tradition. So from an occult framework, we like to call on the name of Jesus, but also add in David and Solomon, and then extend that power of those names to us. So when I'm performing an exorcism, I will say, under the authority of Solomon, by the seal of David, by the power of Jesus, I, Daniel, have the power over you and command you to X. So that's kind of like ritual framing of the way we use that name, but... That does not mean that, um, you know, calling on that name as a belief in God is not effective. It entirely is. That's why we use it. West of the Rockies, Mike's with us in Vancouver, Canada. Hi, Michael. Hi, George. How you doing? Okay, thanks. What did the Mayans know? <laughs> yeah. uh, hey, I have two points, quick points, and then a question. Um, in the, tonight, what the uh, guest said... Uh, some of these people need to up their dose uh, to line that could with the opiate crisis mm-hmm. and the changes that you indicate these people go through. There's an increase when the entity feels a response. Now, 
we all know the two-way system that Habana syndrome is. They can read what the subject is going through. Oh, and George Ian, his tinnitus might be caused by this also. But, uh, and there's also a retaliation and disease aspect to this. Mm -hmm. You spoke about another path. Could possibly another path be getting together with the doctor that has equipment that can read these frequencies, and when these people are going through what they're going through, could you turn this equipment on and see possibly if they're being affected by Habana syndrome? And thanks for letting me get on, George. Good work. Okay, Michael, thank you. What do you think of that, Danny? Yeah, you know, I've actually been part of a few studies that have studied mediumship. Actually, one was with the University of Maryland, and what they did in that study was they would have their participants get inside an MRI machine and do mediumship-based readings or occult-based ritual while inside the machine and me measure or image what is going on inside the the brain. I think that's as probably as close as we'll get, uh, but I like that I like that way of thinking. Like, let's involve all the technology we have. Let's involve the spiritual technologies we have. Let's involve the medical technologies we have. Because these things are not purely spirit, nor are they purely physical. Um, like all things, I think there's a blend of the two. We are inspirited beings living in physical bodies, and that's the way this material manifests sometimes. Dan, get out your website to folks as we wrap things up, if you would, please. Absolutely. You can find my wife and I at theeckhart.com. And on our website, you can find a huge archive of blog posts we've written about magic and the paranormal. You can find our Instagram and our TikTok handles, ways to contact us and ways to sign up for retreats um, or magical workshops if you're interested in that sort of thing. Or you can just drop us a line and tell us what paranormal happenings are going on in your life. Super. Thanks, Dan. Always good having you on the program. For Dan Galanti, Tom Danheiser, Lisa Lyon, Lex Lonehood, Sean LaDesor, Stephanie Smith, Chris Burroughs, Tim Banal, George Knapp, and Ian Punnett. I'm George Norrie, somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM. We'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.